This is Hans Reamer, Montgomery County Council Member, and you're listening to the Conduit Street Podcast, the official podcast of the Maryland Association of Counties. the Conduit Street Podcast. Kevin Canale here with my co-host, Michael Sanderson. Michael, how are you today? I'm Friday morning here Friday. in Annapolis. I'm feeling it, but uh, doing okay. How are you, Kevin? I'm doing well. And this week on the podcast, we'll break down the Kerwin Blueprint Bill. We'll talk about some odds and ends from the testimony table. So, Michael, this week, I mean, it seems like it's just been nuts, but this is just kind of how it is at this point in session as we sit here on Valentine's Day. Right. So, I mean, we've we kind of go through this cycle. All of, all of us 90 day people kind of get that the first mo- the first month or so of the session is a lot of briefings, a lot of background, a lot of connections being made and refreshed and so forth. You're getting your ideas out there. If you're a legislator, you're walking around with a draft bill saying, right, I'm looking right. for co-sponsors or I'm trying to finish this thing up, that sort of stuff. But we are in the second phase for sure. I know, you know, Mako sends out a weekly Friday wrap up of the content from our blog and things that we've been watching. We put a picture in there of our testimony board. Every Friday, we, the policy staff from Mako sits down and look at all the bills and try and figure out where we cover and it's just it's just this giant wall of these purple sheets of paper and you know like given days it's like we've got 14 places to be in seven different committees right <laughs> i mean we're covering bills for you know each other in different policy areas that right. aren't necessarily our bills and you're in there hoping that you know you're you're, you're understanding the bill and that maybe you don't get asked some really technical questions <laughs> but yeah it's just we need to be in every committee every day at this yeah. point. I think we have 40 bills this week. Right. And I mean, that's the nature of covering a beat like local government is we don't have the luxury of, you know, some shops in town who have specific clients who have narrow interests. And while well, I'm just focusing on this thing and that thing, this whole session, right. we have this conversation all the time with lobbyists around town and other stakeholders. And they say, well, I'm, I'm kind of watching two bills this year. And we're like, yeah, we're, we've got like 175. Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> it was always interesting to have those conversations but it is the nature of local government and that's what we do everything does affect us so not complaining but certainly this has been a taxing week in particular <laughs> so I'd, and, I'd say and, that's and fair. The, the next couple will be similar so we, we we know what we're in for it's it's, it's all right the big news obviously we talked about this last week that the blueprint bill was coming and it did get dropped on friday so michael <laughs> I mean, we kind of discussed some stuff that we were looking for in the bill last week. What can we say about the bill? I don't remember how many pages it is. Right, it's, 172 it's a big pages. Okay. Yeah, we heard numbers going back and forth about all that. Right, so. right. So, you know, it's it's here. And what do we see? What are the basics? What can we talk about here? We don't have a fiscal note, obviously. That's the big That's the big thing. Right. I mean, a lot of people, the thing that they really want to see is a sheet of paper that explains the numbers. And we've seen these things attached to the commission report. Right. and things that happened over the fall, um, it, it'll be some time before that happens. I, I think I, on a certain level, the big news with the bill dr- itself dropping, the big news is that there's no real news. Exactly. So really, this is sort of the blank canvas. This is sort of here are all the recommendations. Here's what we talked about in the Kerwin Commission and the funding work group. This is sort of putting it onto paper and we have it in 172 pages. Right. And so if if the thing that you're really interested in is how and where and who is going to do all this pre-K, the bill now has, I, I've lost track, you know, must have been eight or 10 pages of new language 
language on how pre-K is going to get right, rolled out, right. a little bit of how it gets incorporated into funding formulas, but more on the you know, ex- expectations of childcare providers as they get themselves registered and accredited through the Excel system, all these sorts of things. So you have to convert things from the paragraphs of a report into statutory language that says, you know, this is what's going to happen by this date and this is who reports to whom. All, all that kind of stuff is in the bill. We're focused on numbers. That's where the county government has a role in right. education and so right. forth. So we've been looking for that. And the the main takeaway from this bill is that it's a pretty faithful representation of what we saw from the commission and really not much more. They haven't, you know, you, you use the blank canvas and I, I think I, I like that analogy. Mm-hmm. So there's not a whole lot of new brushstrokes on here yet. This is pretty much like where we left off in November. Yeah. So especially the state and county funding splits, those are unchanged from where we left off in November, right? So that's the big news, I think, for maybe our listeners. And from the county perspective, that's probably the biggest news in this bill as drafted. Right. And that's, I mean, and and so, so again, it's the big news is this isn't news. Right. And so, I mean, that, that, that can sound like a criticism. And I think like you and I last week on the podcast spent a little time thinking maybe we're going to see some of these issues either get resolved or have a proposed resolution in this bill. Right, be spelled out. And that that would represent, okay, some work has happened since November. The commission left, the legislative leadership may have exerted their influence, and, and suddenly this has turned into, here's the way this is going to work. Instead, the bill doesn't resolve some of the questions that we had our eyes on. We were we were interested in particular, are, are they going to have a multi-year phase-in of this new county funding obligation? Mm-hmm. We know that year 10 in this bill looks like year 10 that everybody's been walking around with their sheets of paper on. Right. We expected maybe this maybe this is going to say, oh, here it is. It's a four-year phase-in or it's a seven-year phase-in of that county number. And that's going to affect FY23 and 25 and 28 and so forth. Instead no phase in. And I think the message there is this is for the legislature to sort out. Because we know that during the funding work group, they did vote on this should be the local contribution should be phased in. So we expected to see that. We we thought we would see it in the first draft of the bill. Right. It would be spelled out for us. Here's what's going to happen year one through 10. And then we'll have a debate. If you don't like what's in the first draft of the bill, maybe you ask for it to be different or longer or whatnot. Sure, sure. Okay. So Let's put this in the proper context. The bill is silent on that. And I don't think counties should respond to that saying, oh, we've been rejected. We've been overruled. There is no phase in because this reflects a decision. There won't be a phase in. Right. I think the right way to frame that is this is a reflection that the bill shouldn't make that decision. The General Assembly needs to make that decision. So if you're a county thinking about the phase-in and, and concerned about that, and we know we have counties who are very tuned in on that issue. As they should be. Yeah. Um, that our advice to them is this is not the end of the conversation. It's letting you know that this is the beginning of that conversation. It's going to be a legislative debate what the county phase-in ought to be, and whether that's X numbers of years or certain percentages over time, we'll see in the days and weeks ahead. Now, Michael, one thing that I know a lot of people have been asking about, we see 
transition grants in this bill, and it's about 12 counties. They're, you know, from the millions of dollars to $30,000, right. I think, right? And everybody was trying to figure out what those are. And, 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 you know, yeah, right. in the beginning, we were like, what is this? Right. But I think we sort of have an answer now, and we can explain what this stuff means. Yeah, I mean, the full answer gets technical rapidly and even even for this podcast and our devoted listeners who you know they they firmly get their green eye shade in place while they listen to the conduit street podcast that, that's fine that's fine that's our, that's our rep right these are these are the guys who get into like the super deep weeds and that. right like, okay. and these are definitely weeds uh, yeah, but i think we can make it understandable but, but, but this one i mean think of it this way we know the Kerwin commission looked at the way we fund schools now and in a couple of places said you've got some band-aids that have been applied to our our various formulas because you needed to fix this one thing and you had to adjust that thing. So we want to get rid of those. Mm -hmm. So we knew that was coming. Things like the special grant for the way we calculate your income for purposes of wealth. All right. I'll stop there. Please. That, that could have been, been an off-ramp for like a nine-minute technical dissertation on the nature of income tax. No, we're not going to do that. No, not But today. instead – the state made a policy change a few years ago and did a special set of grants as a kind of hold harmless. The Kerwin Commission says we should get rid of those, but it doesn't make sense to just push them off a cliff and zero them out in year one of a multi-year phase-in of Kerwin. Right. So instead, you phase the old stuff out as you're phasing the new stuff in. These transition grants are two different current programs that have been scheduled to be Basically, you know, wipe them out because Kerwin's coming, right? But phase them mm -hmm. out so the numbers go down on the new on this new grant to to phase out the current stuff as we phase in Kerwin funding. And when you hear that context, it's like, okay, this was much ado about nothing. That's a very sensible way to say let's get rid of these these old programs, right? So I mean, when we first read it, I think when most people first read it, they didn't understand where these numbers came from, what they meant. Yeah, why but why this list of counties? Why is like a couple of these numbers are not really tiny? Yes. Kind of are large, and it turns out this, these all map to things that we're doing today, and we're just scheduling to phase out. Makes sense, right? Yep. Okay. Yep. So we also talked about counties and their off-budget funding, which means money that you provide for schools is not necessarily in your school budget. We thought we may see just a big giant list of here are all the things that you can count toward your effort, even though it's not in the school budget. What are we seeing right. there? I think they went the full way with the logic of that vote. Mm -hmm. So in the at the summertime, mm -hmm. the argument was now that we're going to ask the counties to, to fund their full share of education, it'll matter if you fund some education mission outside of the school budget. Mm -hmm. And today, that's not really a big deal. But because Kerwin is saying, we want, we want to run the tape on how much you've committed to education and make sure you're doing your fair share, then it'll matter if some of that money is in the sheriff's budget and some of it's in the local health department or your transportation budget or other things like that. Right. So what they're basically saying is the, the way to do apples to apples to apples is to count it all. Count so, it all. So, so you set aside debt service. That's a different thing. And, and maybe there's a debate about whether that should be on the list too. Mm -hmm. I don't know whether the legislation will take up that debate. But this bill is basically saying the county who is funding education in a means other than the school budget, that's still funding education. And we shouldn't turn a blind eye to that. Like, you don't you don't want to have a dumb state law that says, go redo your budget because we're not going to we're not going to give you credit unless you put it in this line item in this part of the budget. Right, right, right. right. So really, we are accounting for for funding right. that goes to schools. It's not in the budget. So that's a good thing. We didn't see a giant list, but it basically says everything that you do that is education for education 
we're going to count that toward your local effort. Right. And and so, you know, basically you put it in the bill, you give direction to the State Department of Education, whatever your certification mm-hmm. process is, ask for more than just what's the appropriation to the schools. It's that plus other education things that the county can show they funded elsewhere. Now, another interesting piece of this bill is about school boards and their budgets. And in the bill, I mean, I, I was a little surprised to see that they're going to have to provide a lot more detail of their budgets by program and by school, way more than they currently do, right? Uh, yeah, I, I think I think that will be a surprising undercurrent of this debate. And the bill was more specific there than I might have guessed Me it too, would be. Right. But I don't know when you if you try and figure out well why is this so present? It's just section after section of the bill talks about the things that the that the local school boards need to prepare and show to the public and right. to the state right. and to the county, and then how do they fund the individual schools within their district? I mean that. That question has never been the state's business, mm-hmm. but we've got a new funding program that is that is defined and built based on individual school populations. That's in this bill. Mm-hmm. And we know that there's a push for accountability and more transparency in what's happening with these new dollars. So, you know, the governor's made a big point on this. Uh, the number of people who have stood up on the floor of the House and Senate with the sort of transition school funding bill last year. Right. You know, that wanted accountability to be part of it. Well, I mean, one way to be really accountable and transparent is to, along the way, show where the money's going. What did you do with it last year on a much finer grain level than we're used to seeing? What what did you do last year? And then here are the things we funded more of this year as we phase in Kerwin. Mm-hmm. So where did all that money go for this year? And, and that way you have a sort of a paper trail of, okay, you know, this category, like special ed money went from here to up here. And that, that matches along with the state saying we're, we're increasing the formula funding first for special education students. For right. Instance. I mean, but, but it's interesting. You mentioned it a minute ago that the state law now is going to be much more active when it comes to, you know, direct board funding and how they, uh, how the school boards then fund their individual schools, right? right? And that's something that we haven't really seen. So you can say, okay, all the special ed funding, we know that the school board spent it. We know that they did this. Okay, mm-hmm. we have the baseline number. And they have a big plan. Right. right now you have a big narrative document. Back right. to, you know, among among our undercurrents has been the difference between paragraphs and tables of numbers. Mm-hmm. You know, writing a big plan that has seven pages of text about the various things that a school board has prioritized and invested in and so forth is different from saying the money went here. And you can see last year we did 350000 and this year it's 420000 mm-hmm. Everybody can see before, after, difference, delta. Like, yeah, we can do that. Right. And, but now you're going to have to show that money, you know, certain amounts of money yeah. are going to each school. And right. that's different. Yeah. So we haven't the, seen so that before. The state has never considered themselves a stakeholder in those kind of decisions. This bill puts them there. Um, I think it probably also puts this, the new accountability board that's being created in this bill to, to sort of oversee the implementation of the Kerwin vision. Right. Some of that's going to be funding, but we're going to see intra-county analysis that's never really been on the table before. That's, that, that's a big change unto itself. And for some stakeholders in education, that might be the biggest change in the bill. I absolutely agree. We know there's a big hearing on Monday 
We've talked about this being the blank canvas. What do we expect to see on Monday? We're going to have four committees in the joint hearing room, correct? Right. So so Monday the 17th, uh, and I think maybe an obvious move for expediency, we know there's going to be a lot of stakeholders who want to show up and talk about this bill. So the Senate and the House committees are going to have a big joint hearing. The bill's jointly assigned to two different committees right, in the right. Senate, two committees in the House. That's no surprise. But one big hearing in the joint hearing room, which is like a like a high school auditorium type room. Right. right. And it makes sense, right? You don't want everybody coming down day after day after day. Right. Just get them all in the same room and exactly. get, let everybody, you know, say their piece and everybody can understand what they're talking about. Right. So there's every reason to think that, that Monday afternoon, this is Monday, February 17th, the hearing's going to start at one o'clock. People are going to be signing up with their testimony and so forth through the morning. They're taking early testimony on Friday. So, I mean, which makes all, a lot of sense. All this is pointing toward this being an all hands on deck kind of day, uh, a very intensive day for these committees who ordinarily do not put in a long work day on Mondays. Monday is usually a half off day and you start Monday night. Right. This week right. is going to be get here, get in your seats and it's going to, you know, buckle down for, for six solid hours of testimony at a minimum. There's there's no chance that this hearing is less than 1 p.m. to 7 p.m. So, I mean, we we have the canvas now. We expect there to be sort of more meetings amongst legislators and committees trying to filling in, you know, the blanks here in terms of, right. of building this out. Right. So I don't think right after that hearing on Monday, all of a sudden the bill is going to start moving. They really need to fill in and or add color to this canvas, if you will. Right. I think I think that's that's how this this plays out. We've seen. The, the legislators in the House who are on the education subcommittees of appropriations and ways and means, they've been starting to convene jointly. And I think they're going to treat this as a joint work product, which, which makes sense. Right. Both of those committees rely on, on a subcommittee structure. So we're, we're going to see this happen over the next couple of weeks. And it's, I mean, it is a giant bill. I mean, we, the reason we mention it's 170 pages or whatever is, is not, not to flex and like show, oh my gosh, how awesome are we that we read a 170 page bill? No, it's, it's that the legislators, need to literally think about each of those components. And, you know, you might have a 45-minute debate about a one sentence on one bill. This 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 page literally has a thousand things in it. No, they, they will have debates, <laughs> I guarantee you, on one sentence on one page of the bill. So there is a lot to do here. And I think this is going to start to come together over the coming weeks. But obviously, we'll keep our listeners informed of what's going on. Yeah. So, the, so the big bill hearing on Monday the 17th should be a hear from all the stakeholders, mostly about the big picture. We'll hear the beginnings of sort of technical and practical and implementation arguments. We'll be listening closely for things like that local phase in Mm -hmm. for some definitional and technical things along the way. And we know there's going to be a larger conversation about the funding and the ask on the counties. We know that's going to be a pressure point in getting this bill to yes. So that's all going to get set up on Monday in in a big public forum. Okay, so we'll go ahead and take a break there. When we come back, we'll talk about some testimony tidbits from the testimony table. We'll also get into some interesting legislation that's been introduced. All that and more after the break. Good ideas often start locally at the town, city, and county levels. Local governments were the first to pass laws on child bike helmets, public smoking, and paid sick time in Maryland. These laws have since inspired changes at the state and national levels. The ability of elected officials to improve the quality of life in your community is now at risk. To protect it, visit localmaryland.org. 
Okay, welcome back to the Conduit Street Podcast. So, Michael, a very interesting bill was introduced this week, and we've talked about this before, and it's adding the sales and use tax to certain services. Maryland has gone down this road before and then quickly backtracked. Uh, but this is only certain services, and I think that the list is very interesting. Yeah. But but I, <laughs> I, I think that generally this is a very interesting bill, and I think it, it's a big-time conversation starter at the least. Right. And so, so we've been circling this topic generally for a while, and we saw some messaging going back to this past mm-hmm. summer uh, with legislative leaders – sort of nudging in the direction of we don't think we're going to make sort of structural across the board changes to our tax structure. So income, we're not sales. Gonna, yeah, we're not going to do a penny on the right. sales tax. We're not going to do a bracket on the income tax. No property tax everybody. We're not going to do more pennies on the state property tax, mm-hmm. big stuff like that. But they've, they've, there have been these, these sort of nudges in the direction of maybe we will reevaluate tax credits and loopholes. We'll, we'll look at tax avoidance issues and fairness and that sort of stuff. And, and you and I have been talking about these issues and I mean, sometimes jokingly saying, it's not obsolete if it's going to cost a half a billion dollars to somebody who's gaining the benefit of some credit or some benefit. And, and I can tell you, I mean, I was in Ways and Means all day on Wednesday, and there are a lot of people who don't think that some of these tax credits at the state level are obsolete. Trust me. Right. Just by how long those hearings were, a lot of people came in and talked about a lot of the proposals that you see eliminating some of these tax credits that are aimed at economic development and helping business. When you put bills in like that, a lot of people are going to show up. And it was evident on Wednesday. Sure. and And that's... I mean, so that's, that's a proper, that's, that's the, that's the legislative process mm-hmm. functioning correctly is someone makes a proposal, say, I think these, these things may be obsolete. They may be unwise and not worth the investment. So maybe they're not really doing much. You have a public hearing and you end up with businesses from the four corners of the state showing up and saying, but for this program, I'm not here. I'm right. in Tennessee or I'm in Alabama or Virginia or whatever or in Ireland or whatever. So Cayman Islands. Okay, right. Whatever. Yeah. So so you know we we get that. That's that that that's always lying in the background of economic development strategies and tax policy and so forth. So that that's fine. You get all the contours of that when you talk about legislation to, you know, go in a different direction in the way we raise revenues. Mm-hmm. So we also have heard some sort of uh, pithy statements about it's time to modernize our tax structure. Right. And probably the easiest way to explain that is the sales tax, which for generations has been the workhorse revenue for state governments. I mean, if you, if you, if you read a civics textbook from 50 years ago, you would basically see the, the principal source of income for the federal government is income taxes, mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. revenue. The principal source of revenue for state governments is sales taxes, and the principal source of revenue for local governments, counties and cities, is property taxes. Right. Those lines have been blurred, especially in a state like Maryland, which has judged the, the income tax to be a more appropriate way to be the workhorse. So sure. we rely on income taxes more than most states, but the sales tax is still still the one you run up the flagpole to say, gosh, we're doing this wrong. Right. We tax you. Know, you buy a book 
and you pay a tax. But if you buy an ebook, well, that's just an ethereal electronic thing that doesn't trigger an event because it's not an object.、Mm-hmm. And most people would probably, I think, reasonably say, "Well, wait, why? Why is that, is that a preference? Are we are we trying to give incentives for electronics and so forth?" But same thing with goods versus services. You buy a pair of shoes, everybody knows you pay your six percent tax. But there's a ton of things that you spend money on, and if you don't get back a tangible Item, it doesn't trigger a sales and use tax, right? So I think with the the digital taxes, and there's a bill to to address that issue. That's another we talk about a lot:、mm-hmm. policy keeping up with new technology yeah, and innovation,、yeah. right? I think that's trying to keep up. And I don't think there is a difference between a digital download of a song versus going to the store and buying a CD. But we'll see what the General Assembly does. And when you talk about services, absolutely. So we know we don't put sales and use tax on groceries, right? We don't put sales and use tax on medicine, so、right. we don't so, do that stuff. And so so those are things where you you. Get a tangible item. You're buying a good, but we've made a policy decision that it, it's sort of like the way you can write things off on your income taxes. Well, okay, you know that shouldn't be taxed because you had to spend that money. Right. Same concept here. We don't tax groceries, and most states with sales taxes don't do that. But okay, services is a different question, and it's a matter of we don't start with the assumption that something is subject to a tax. Here, it would be you'd have to write and expand the sales tax to include a service.、Mm-hmm. So, how do you go about doing that? Right. So, the bill that's been introduced, it 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 has just a few services that we're going to start applying the sales and use tax to, Michael. And let's go through some of these. So, for cleaning or storage services, a golf course or country club membership, a marina service. Art moving or art storage, tanning, tattooing or piercing, interior <laughs> design, dog walking, a boat repair service, jewelry repair,、uh, air transportation, travel arrangement or reservation service. So these are things. I mean, I think you can kind of see where this is trying to go, right? These are services that maybe people of well means、right. might be might be might be getting. So this is not targeting every kind of service, but if you're going to do certain things, if you want a membership at the country club, for instance, you're going to have to pay sales and use tax on that. So I think that's where this is going. Well, I mean, what are your thoughts on this? And, and we've been down this road、right. before, for, for maybe in a different way. But it's yeah, tough to do this stuff. It, it, it is tough, and I mean,、so、that, I, I think your read is right that there's a certain spin here. You can go through. I think it's called like the the census generates this big report. It's like the consumer expenditure survey. And if 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 you're a real, if you want to nerd out, you can get like the 90 page report, which goes through state by state how how much do, are people reporting that they spend. On all these different odds and ends, and in theory, you can try and say, okay, well, if we applied the sales tax to that thing, it might generate this much revenue.、Mm-hmm. I, you know, I was part of the staff working in the 1990s on a big report like this sort of thing, and I remember doing exactly that.、Um, Where's the money? Yeah, yeah, and but like it, to start with an idea, why don't we extend the sales tax to cover services? And people say, "Okay, well, I get what you're saying. I spend a lot of my, you know, my my. I go to a restaurant, I buy a thing, and I buy food. Okay, that's different.、Mm-hmm. I buy a pair of shoes, I pay a tax. I buy a book, I pay a tax. But I also am buying a variety of services along the way. So, okay, not necessarily a philosophical problem with、mm-hmm. that. And then it turns into, well, what what service exactly are we talking about? And then, you know, once it's your service and your livelihood, then I mean, like, okay, marina services." 
that's going to be subject to tax. They'll come in. Oh, they'll come in. <laughs> right? Trust me, the dog walkers are so coming the, in. The marine trades industry will be in to talk about marinas and how, how they <laughs> relate to the Maryland economy and so on and so forth. But I don't know. I don't know if uh, art storage has a big uh, lobbying presence in Annapolis. I bet they're like big time. They're hiring they're up right now. Yeah, they're, <laughs> they're coming. coming in. They're coming in. <laughs> so, so this is all. This is a. This is going to be an interesting, fascinating hearing, and I do think this starts the conversation. But you're right. Once it's your service that, you know, would be applicable for the sales and use tax, that's when it becomes an issue. And that's when these difficult conversations and these fascinating bill hearings take place. We'll have to see what happens here, but maybe this gets pared down a bit or maybe it goes away. But I I wouldn't be surprised if some of this went through. I mean, I I don't know how I don't know what read you can make on what what might happen with Maryland's revenue structure. So this year. At least in part, I think what we're seeing is a ton of trial balloons being floated about what things might make sense, what, you know, what things are going to meet with a whole lot of resistance. You get a fiscal note on all these ideas. You draft a bill, and that means the fiscal analysts are duty bound to come back and tell you their best guess on what this means for revenue. So you sort of get a menu of here's where all the money is. Yeah. So there's, there's some of that going on. Uh, but then honestly, what we kind of know in the background is the real big money in sales taxes. If you want to extend to services, it's with big stuff that we kind of understand, like hiring an accountant right. or hiring an engineer or an architect or a lawyer or a lobbyist or other things like that that are professional services. And if we say, OK, right now I have a landscaper come and do work on my property at my business or at my home. And they say, well, I, I bought all these plants so that we, I got to charge you sales tax for the plants. Mm-hmm. But then labor, there's no tax on that. Same thing. You get your car fixed, right? You right. pay for the muffler, not for the installation. The electrician comes to your house. Right. You pay for the parts, not the service. Right. It's a little bit weird. And a lot of people might say, okay, why, why do we differentiate like that? It, those are the areas where the real money tends to be. If you want to extend to services, like a tax on engineering services and on installation and repairs and all those sorts of things, that's where the real money is. Mm-hmm. But we know they show up. We know they scream bloody murder. We know they yeah. have, they have associations <laughs> right. and groups. Yeah, yeah they'll be right, there. Right. Okay. So that's interesting. I also want to talk about the bag ban. And this is an issue that has been around town for a few years and in, in various different right. bills and structures. But there was a big hearing this week. This is the Plastics and Packaging Reduction Act, Michael. And this bill was would prohibit a store from providing a customer with a plastic carryout bag, and that's less than four mils thick, and requires a store to charge, collect, and retain at least 10 cents for each durable carryout bag provided to the customer at point of sale. Of course, there are various... It's the paper bags. Exactly. Yeah. So 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 the rule is... Ban the plastic. So, you know, instead of that, that whole conundrum at the end, they're like, you want plastic or paper? Right. They want to say, no, okay, no, we're not, we're out of the business of plastic bags altogether, at least in that main sense, right? Mm-hmm. There's, there's some wiggle so, room course, there. Right. So but, dry cleaning bags and, you know, you go to the grocery store, you put fruit in the plastic bag. Right. That stuff's or like, exempt. You know, like seafood or seafood, other things like that. Yeah, yeah, sure. So, so the, the, the plastics for the cases where that's the only thing that makes sense are still allowed. Right. But if you're buying, you know, if you're buying a bag of donuts, you don't walk out of the grocery store any longer or the bakery with a big plastic bag that they're all in. Right? You get a paper bag and right. you pay 10 cents for it. Yeah. Or you bring your own and you pay nothing. And right. that's the direction I think, you know, we're trying to nudge people in that general direction. I just need to remember to bring them from the car uh, to the store. Yeah, I got them in the car. <laughs> they somehow just don't come with me into the store, but that's a separate issue. Right. Well, maybe yeah. maybe a 10 cents a clip, I'll, I'll suddenly, you know, see the light. It adds up. Right. <laughs> okay. So we know, Michael, that various 
counties do this already. And under this bill, they would be forced to enforce these bans, right? And there's a civil penalty right. for violations. But what yeah. about for the counties that already have their own programs in place at the local level? What would happen? So this this whole bill, like you said, this has been bubbling up for, I've lost track, four or five years sure. minimum. That and this we've seen it in various about. states right. too, right? I mean, right. this is a so, national thing. Yeah. So there's lots of places thinking about this as public policy. And where do you come down either sort of using using a tax system or a fee system as a way to try and uh, uh, address things that are related like okay we're having waterway problems because of plastic bags so let's take the tax on plastic bags and use it to clean up waterways oh, that's Makes one sense, way to go right? about it. Right. or you can just ban the plastic bags mm-hmm. or you can do some combination that's kind of like this ban the plastic charge for the paper and use the revenues for something but Figuring this out has been a little bit like, you know, you go to the, go to the state fair and you play the whack-a-mole game where it's like, boom, you bang down one mole and then another one pops up and now you got that thing to worry about. Right. This, like working this bill has been very much like playing whack-a-mole that you've got multiple stakeholders here. You know, the retailers understandably are not wild about you're basically going to be the implementation of this state policy. Mm-hmm. So this year's bill says, okay, the retailers just keep the money. We're not trying to raise revenue for anything. Retailers keep the money and you'll be happy to run a system if you keep the dime. Sure. Right? Sure. So, so, but then you end up with local governments, particularly those who have been ahead of the state and said, we want to do this anyway, either with a ban or a partial ban or a fee or tax. And now they're saying, well, hey, wait, hold on. If the retailers keep everything, how do we pay, how do we pay off the bonds that we just floated to do these stream restoration projects? Because we were counting on our bag tax money. Um, you know, like the issue of the state preempting local governments is near and dear to our hearts, but this is where it gets most complicated because, you know, Montgomery County went through this debate. They took all the stakeholders into consideration. They passed something locally. It's been on the books. They're doing projects. They're, you know, they're, they're doing the stuff that, that basically are the end goals of this policy debate in Annapolis. Right. They're cleaning up the environment. <laughs> they're cleaning up the areas where these bags end up with the fee that's, that's, affixed, you know, in in relation to these bags. So they're doing that stuff and they're keeping a portion of the money to do those things. Under this bill, all the money would stay with the retailer. Right. So that is, I mean, I think the fair way to look at that is this is in the game of whack-a-mole. The idea is, okay, maybe if we get the retailers to support the idea, will that build a political coalition that can bring this whole thing together? Because this has always been lots of people like it. And you get into the bill hearing and you get into a work group or whatever, and it's just too detailed. And every time you make a change, you lose a few votes here and there. Right. You don't really have the coalition you need to get the bill passed. So we understand why the yeah, bill is drafted sure, this way. Sure. Right. But so, we have to we have to wonder about preemption. And you mentioned preemption. And for successful programs at the local level, this would turn them on their head. You said they spent a lot of time going through and working with all these stakeholders. These laws are working very well, from what we understand. So what's the what's the fix here? I mean, I hate to put you on the spot, right. but whack-a-mole, yeah. what, what, how do you fix this? I, I, I don't know. I mean, you know, I don't I don't think there's a way to just uh, just lie on top of the whack-a-mole machine and keep all the moles from popping up. So, you know, basically that's that's where they are once again. Mm-hmm. And you've got you've got effective local programs that I think in concept you'd like to preserve. Uh, there's a question about uniformity. There's a question about what do you do for the retailers? That's that's tricky. So I, I, I don't know. 
this is going to be another challenge to, to, to try and bring together a coalition to make this all work. And you don't even know, like the House and the Senate may end up with different looking coalitions. So, you know, sometimes sometimes things fall apart for lack of the perfect unity. I don't know. I don't have a prediction on this bill. Uh, a lot of effort going into this. There's a lot of talk in town about the subject. And then, you know, once you get past the, yeah, I think that bill's really interesting. Then the next seven minutes are talking about all the difficulties that are, how do you address this and how do you right. address that? Yeah. So it's going to be, I think this is one that may go down to the end of session and trying to get everybody on the same page. But we do know that I think the ultimate goal is a good one, trying to drive consumer behavior, you know, incentivizing people to use their own reusable bag and keep all this plastic out of the bay and out of our environment in general, right? And and, and that's that's funny because actually that's one of the one of the uses. You know, I mean, in this debate about whether you shut down the local programs, and we're supposed to be enforcing it too. By the way, yes. if the program is just on the books and the counties don't have any resources to enforce the law, then you might have a policy that looks really nice on paper, and then you're going around to stores and you still see all the plastic bags. It's like, well, there, there, nobody's asking us about it, so we just didn't do it. We just didn't do it, right? Right. <laughs> So we'll have to wait and see, but certainly an interesting issue. All right. I think we'll leave it there for this week, Michael. Maybe uh, regroup a little bit. It's been a very long week. I think next week will be much of the same. Yeah. So, okay, you, you know, you'll give us that a little less than our best for the next few weeks, but we'll, we'll keep at it. All right. So we'll leave it there. As always, if you enjoy the podcast, please go ahead and subscribe. Follow us on social media, Twitter and Facebook, and of course, the Conduit Street blog. But until next week, for Michael, this is Kevin signing off, and we will talk to you soon.